Today I'd like to speak on one of my favorite passages, and if there was a title, it would be A Lesson at the Lake. In this scripture I'm going to read, I'm going to give you a little context before I read it. Jesus' resurrection has taken place. Jesus has appeared to his disciples. Thomas, or Doubting Thomas, as we have branded him, that was awkward, has had his moment where he has touched Jesus' wounds, the, oh Lord, my God, he cries out. The scripture I'm going to read is in John chapter 21, first 11 verses. I'm going to read from the New King James, and then we're going to dig in. Verse 1 says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. And in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to go fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered, no. And Jesus said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter had heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and he dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although they were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. There are so many things that Jesus says that I just love that make my heart race. But the idea of Jesus saying to me, come and eat breakfast. And you know, you know there's going to be biscuits and gravy. You know there's going to be biscuits and gravy. The most important lessons that we are going to learn aren't going to be taught in a classroom. This is truth. As a child, they can teach you about math. They can teach you addition and subtraction. But when you are a young adult and you bounce a check or you have uh, overdraft, math becomes real, Right? They can teach you about biology in school, but when they place a newborn baby in your hands, you know, and they're like, this is your baby, and you're going to take this baby home, and you're going to care for this baby, biology gets real right then, right? You can learn about American history in school, but for me, to stand at Gettysburg, to stand uh, by Little Big Top, to stand at Devil's Den, to stand where Pickett's Charge took place, that really made it real for me. It brought it in a personal way. Jesus always teaches us in personal ways. 
in this closing chapter of the Gospel of John, we have the greatest teacher who has ever lived giving an object lesson, if you will. And it's going to involve a very long night. It's going to involve empty nets, but it, and it's going to have some full nets that come along. And what I love about this, when you read the Gospel of John, if you read chapter 20, read it all the way through, and it seems like that Gospel could end right there. But it's almost like when this happened, John's like, I got to pick up that pen just one more time because this, this has, I know that it could have, it's not the best way, to, but I'm going to end on this. And I love that. It's almost that, but wait, there's more moment in the Bible. And the first verse says, after these things, Jesus showed himself to the disciples. That word showed when you dig into that word showed, it means more than just being seen. It's the same word which is used earlier in the book of John in the second chapter where it says, this is the beginning of miracles that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, water into wine there. And he manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him. It's almost this idea of an unveiling. And so Jesus, in the beginning, it's like he unveiled just who he was right in front of them. And they walk with him all this time. But there are times in our lives where we need another unveiling. We need to see Jesus for who he is once again. Because we think that we have it all. I know everything about him. And then he does something and blows my mind. That unveiling. John 21 teaches us three lessons. The first one is, apart from Jesus, we are powerless. Josephus, he was a Jewish historian. In his writings, we find that in the first century, that this area of Galilee, it was a thriving area for fishing. It was a place that around 230 professional boats would fish. So this is a place where there were a lot of fish. You have plenty of fish, you have professional fishermen, but they are out all night and they catch nothing. When I was talking about disappointment before, maybe your season of disappointment is that you feel like you have been doing what you think you should do and you've been throwing the nets, but they've been coming up empty. My advice, when the nets are coming up empty, look around for Jesus. The empty nets were part of the lesson. Jesus was given a night class. Night classes are tough. I remember I had to finish up some night classes, and boy, you'd just sit. I'd be counting street lights. I'd be counting spider webs. I'd be counting everything but what I was supposed to be doing in the class. Like, it can be tough at times. Jesus had said to these very men in John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. Isn't it wild? that we know what Jesus says, yet we get into circumstances where it's like we think that's the exception. Aside from me, apart from me, you can do nothing, but then I try to do this, and I wonder why it doesn't work under my own power. This is where they were. We live in a world where the contrast is this. The world tells you, you can do anything. You can be anything. You are empowered to do anything. But one of the greatest truths is, as a believer, I will not begin to walk in the way that Jesus wants me to walk until I admit my weakness, my lack of ability outside of him. And it's not in this woe is me way. It is a glory be to God kind of way. And that's how we need to begin to walk. A couple of things apart from Jesus. Number one, what we cannot do, we cannot discern the way. We live in a time where just about every car that is made has navigation on it, right? It's not like the salesman asks you, do you plan on traveling to far and exotic places? No. 
It's just on the car. And most of our cars, we spend like when a five to 10 mile radius of our house and the, the map is up, right? These guys had gotten used to Jesus, the map always being on and always guiding them. They were at a place where they weren't quite sure what to do. A lot of things had changed. Jesus had been resurrected. Jesus had appeared to them. Jesus was going to ascend back into heaven soon. The Holy Spirit was going to fall at Pentecost. A lot of stuff was going on, and they're questioning, Jesus, what's the next step? What are you going to do? He had told them in Matthew 26, verse 32, after I'm risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. So knowing this, they're leaving Jerusalem, they're coming to Galilee. Galilee is this place of calling for them. As they are in Galilee, Peter, for whatever reason, disappointment, boredom, whatever it is, he makes a statement. He says, I'm going fishing. Another translation says, I go a fishing, which I kind of like that. I'm going to say that from now on. So just get ready. For Peter, it was not recreation right? Like when I get bored, I head down to Kevin's house and I throw a few bugs with a fly rod. That's what I, for Peter, what he was saying right here was, I'm not quite sure what to do, but I'm about to make a big move. This is what I'm about to do. And as Peter makes this move, the other guys say, we're going to go with you, right? And so Peter goes out, he hops into the boat. But what's important with this, and when you think about this, the very calling of Peter, we always need to remember who filled the nets in the beginning. Don't forget who filled the nets. And so Peter, heading out here, he learns that apart from Jesus, he can't discern what the best move is to make. He's powerless. But he feels so empowered. Can't you just see him getting out in that boat? Boys, we're going to go catch a lot of fish, and that's going to make everything better. All this frustration we have, once we reel them in, it's going to be a lot better. Without Jesus, I can't do the work. The Bible says they went forth and they entered into a ship immediately and they caught nothing. Now think of this, professional fishermen, all night fishing, nets come up empty. Here's a statement. Sometimes Jesus is just as involved in the empty nets as he is in the full nets. Right? So we get in this place where my Jesus blesses me. Well, what if my Jesus sometimes teaches me lessons? What if I'm looking for it to come up one way? Some people say that the miracle here is the fact that Jesus could make all those fish avoid the nets in such rich waters. So the next morning, Jesus, he calls out and he asks a question that is often asked around fishing holes at piers and at docks. Children, did you catch anything? Boys, did you catch any fish? I heard that in Tommy's voice. Boys, did you catch any fish? The question there, there's only one answer. And here's the thing. Jesus is not looking to embarrass you or to shame you. But there are some times when the truth needs to come out of our mouth because our heart hears it differently when we speak it from our own mouth. Did you come up with anything doing it your way? No, Lord, I did not. Apart from him, you can't do the work that you're called to do. There are callings in this house. There are things that may come easy to you, but I often say to people, what scares you? Not what's your phobia, like if there's a spider in the car, you want to dive out of the car. I'm not talking that, but what scares you in faith? Because I guarantee that is the place that God is going to seek to use you at times. We need his power. 
Here we are in this place today. We just learned it. Some of you are still learning it. Your house is nice, but your house without power isn't that great. This house is nice, but this house without Jesus' power isn't that great, right? I came in the other night, and I must have flipped 15 switches, and you know what? None of them worked. And I went back through, and I was like, well, you know, I'll just go in my office, and I'll just listen to whatever turned it. It didn't work either. Like, I didn't get it, and there's times spiritually that's how I feel. Like, I'm walking through God's house, and I'm trying to do it my way, trying to do it my way, and God's saying, you need the power. You need the power. When Jesus, when Jesus is with me, I am productive. There is a saying that business picks up when Jesus shows up. It's almost like this spiritual rewind that we need to figure out that the things that he did before, he's not done yet. And, and this is so weird because I almost feel like in this confessional time, you know, I get in places where I count my blessings with God and I'm like, that was huge. That was huge. Almost like I get an allotment of huge things that God's going to do for me. You ever do that? And it's like, it's not that I doubt God. It's that I doubt that I'm worthy to get something else. And God, in those moments, whispers to my heart. Jesus, in verse 6, says, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find. The Bible says, when they obeyed, they were not able to draw it up for the multitude of fishes. Not just fish, but fishes. What began in your life as net-breaking faith, just like that call of Peter, Jesus Christ has not lost an ounce of power. What he did then, he can do now. What he did then, he can do now. When I listen to Jesus, that word futile turns into the word fruitful. Outside of Jesus, I learn that I can do nothing. But when you turn that on its head, with Jesus, anything is possible. It's so elementary, but it's amazing how even I, as a pastor, can go through my walk and be like, oh, Lord, what are we going to do now? You know, and he's probably thinking, well, what did I do last time? You know, you keep saying we, but you forget that it's he. You keep doing this. What do I need to do? Like, oh, well, yeah, to have Jesus help me. This is, well, how does this happen? I always like to lay out practical steps. I must respond to his instruction. Now, this is what's so weird. If you move your nets to the other side of the boat, you will find some fish. I'm all about these obscure facts, right? Can't put Jeopardy on in the house because my wife yells at me. Boats at that time during the first century, fishing boats, were approximately 26 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, typically had a crew of five people. So all these guys piling in, it was a safety violation, but it was seven and a half feet wide. Here is a fact about fish. Fish are dumb. Fish do not know port from starboard, four from aft. They do not know this. So the idea when Jesus is asking him to do this right now, we could question it because you could be like, Lord, why would fish be seven and a half feet away from where I've been working all night? Here's where it comes down to. Sometimes we need to get to the place where we can admit that what we have been doing has not been working. That's tough. That's tough because we're just like, no, I will try harder because the world tells me how empowered I am. So I will try harder. I will throw the net again and again and again. And Jesus is like the other side. When they do this, they prove something. 
that faith means obeying Jesus' voice when he's on the shore. Now, I say that because a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that when they got back in the boat after Peter was walking on the water, everybody worshiped and had church. It's easy to have church when Jesus gets in your boat. It's tough sometimes to be obedient when he's on the shore. He can see what I cannot. And again, this seems so elementary, but how many times, again, that I think Jesus is in heaven just as worried as I am here on earth about things. I need to learn to obey his word. I need to learn to rely on his influence. Think about it. Hours and hours of throwing the net, dragging the bottom, no fish caught. But when it comes up, it's filled to capacity because Jesus directed it. You go from no fish to 153 fish. I love this. I love the fact that they counted all the fish, right? Because if that was me and people are like, well, how many did you catch? Well, a bunch. But they counted, and that's what I'm saying, and that speaks to us right now. When Jesus fills your nets, count the blessings and count them out loud. Can't you just see that? Josh, there's another one. Counting them by twos now, Josh. I'm up to 150. I want to be like that with people because that with church, how I told you, it's such an encouragement to hear what God is doing. It doesn't say they reeled in 153 marlin. It says 153 fish. If you reel in a guppy, let me know about that guppy, right? Because that's cool. I want to hear about the guppies. I want to hear about the bluegill. I want to hear about whatever you may bring up, unless it's jellyfish. I want to hear about jellyfish. All my effort, all my energy, it can only build a worldly kingdom. And see, this is where it is. Where I, as a pastor, will be honest with you and say, You can build earthly kingdoms. You can have success according to the world. The enemy will make sure of it. The enemy will make sure that, you know, just give you enough, get you enough to get you on the line. When I build in God's way, Jesus is the power behind the work. When they did this kind of fishing, they didn't have, it wasn't like deadliest catch where they had these winches and things to haul up the nets. They were doing this by hand. Some of you know how to work. I'm saying light a Jesus fire underneath that and let's see what starts happening in this house. Because it all comes down to realizing who's on the shore. Says in verse 7, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. Now, I love this, right? Because whenever I go swimming, I like to put on all my clothes. So Peter, he throws on all his clothes and he dives over the side. I love that when he knows Jesus is near. I don't know about you, I've been on fishing charters before. I've never seen the captain dive overboard. We can walk around with this woe kind of thing, or we can walk around saying, whoa, it is Jesus. Jesus is right there. I see him right there. And notice, it was the beloved that said it. And so in this house, when you see Jesus, call out Jesus. When you see Jesus, call out Jesus. Because I may be over here worried about not catching any fish, and I need to hear you wake me up spiritually by saying, there's Jesus. Because when I get my eyes on Jesus, I want to go after him. 
I want to go after him. There was a movie that was on the other night. It's called Shaun of the Dead. It's a zombie movie. It's not a Christian zombie movie. It's just a zombie movie, right? Don't watch it. But the beginning of this, when I was watching it, during the credits, all the people, when they're showing the beginning, they're just like going through. There's like people pushing carts, and they're just like, like walking like zombies, right? And then they're going to their job, and they're walking like zombies. And what's wild is none of them were zombies. It was just showing how, like, how mundane things could be. And it reminded me sometimes spiritually how we can get. Like, we're just going through the motions. We're just dragging. And we're with everyone like, I'm a Christian. And the world's looking at us like, you are a spiritual zombie. Like, what you have, I don't want. You keep that over there. But with that, I was just thinking, when Jesus shows up, when I realize that it's him, when the passion gets stirred up inside of me, it becomes exciting. This walk needs to be exciting. For Peter, it wasn't about the fish right now. And that's the beautiful thing. Whatever you're worried about, Jesus has a way of turning that on its head. Seek first the kingdom of God. He has a way of turning all that on its head. It was about Jesus Christ for Peter. How long had it been since they had seen the Savior? I don't know. But my question to you is how long is too long to be away from him? Every single day, the Holy Spirit's looking to do something in us. So often, you know what I lose? This is crazy because the last song that Tim did, wonder. My spiritual barometer, when I know that I'm not doing the way that I should be doing, it's when I lose my wonder. It's when I can go through and check off all the boxes, but I don't have any wonder. When I'm, I'm left without awe, because it's not that he's changed, it's that I've changed. And I say that this morning to kind of check us a little bit. Because when you approach Jesus with that kind of wonder, like that idea, Peter, that sounds like something a kid would do. Sounds like a kid would just dive off the side of the boat. That's how I want to be with Jesus. When I see him, I don't want to be about what's appropriate in the moment. I want to be about him. Because when he's present, he's doing a work. It behooves the atheist to understand that I have a relationship with an eternal God. That I am not just in some way so weak that I had to make up what they call a sky daddy. No. I believe in a relationship that has two-way communication. I believe that such words that have been hijacked by the world, such as hope, such as love, they throw it around so much, but oh, when you light a fire under it with Jesus, what it becomes. Not only is what Jesus does exciting, but we notice something. In closing, we notice that Jesus is near and that it's an encouragement to us. Maybe that word disappointment when I brought it up in the beginning was for a reason. It's nowhere in this, but I feel like it ties together quite well here at the end. Imagine up to this point everything the disciples had experienced. All the miracles, all the things that they knew that they knew this was the Messiah. But it said they weren't quite sure who Jesus was. 
going to offer a couple challenges to you in a moment. One would be do not allow your God vision to only work during times of blessing. I feel like some of the deepest moments that these men had with Jesus Christ were when they saw the fact that they were finite. The other night when that wind was blowing through, the lightning was going off. I was reminded of when they show from space, you know, and they, they show earth from space, and when there are thunderstorms, how tiny that seems on such a large planet. And what I think is raging wind compared to an eternal God. When I talk about that with wonder, there are a couple of verses here that I wanted to share. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Never. Not even now. Not even what's going on right now. He's not going to leave you. There's another in Philippians 4.5. Second part of that verse says, the Lord is near. I say that mixed in with the disappointment part in the beginning because when I say even that... And again, honesty. There are some people in this house, when I say the Lord is near, that kind of stings a little bit. Because you're thinking that must be nice to feel that way. If you were completely honest, you would say, I have not felt his presence in my life personally for a while. See, and this is the kind of real talk that we need to have in church. This is kind of real talk, because when we all walk in, and I think that it's hallelujah time for everybody, we need to be able to be real, because with this, here's how I'm going to address it. Remember what I said about myself? God hasn't changed. And I don't say it to point a finger to shame anyone. I say, don't keep doing what you're doing if what you're doing is not working. Practically speaking, begin in spite of how you feel to speak to God as if he is right beside you. Do it when you wake up in the morning. Do it when you're in the car. Instead of listening to Rover's Morning Glory or whatever Cleveland sports nonsense is on, and newsflash, this isn't our year, there's always next year. Start talking to Jesus. Start talking to Jesus. When you go to lay your head down at night and you're like, I feel so anxious, I don't know if I can sleep, that's the time. Jesus, right now, you see what's going on inside me and I know that you are greater. When you're worried about your children, instead of getting on the phone with someone being like, well, it just seems hopeless. No, get in a talk with Jesus and be like, you are the hope. And when the devil says to you, but look at this they're doing and look at this they're doing and look at this they're doing then begin to turn that on him and say, do you know the God that I serve? I speak life and speak it more abundantly. So here as a church is what I'm asking. If the disappointment, if that was you, 
In the name of Jesus, I break anything that the devil is trying to wrap around you. That he's trying to bind you and say that you feel this way because it's a lack of faith. Nope. He hated you raising your hand. He hated it. Because you just dragged it out in the light. If you will stand, we're going to pray. And here's what I need you to pray. My simple request, God, restore my wonder. Restore my wonder. There was a time when you thought you could do anything in Jesus Christ, and he has not changed. Father, right now in this house, I pray that you would just pour it out. Where there is discouragement, God, I pray that you would cover it in your wonder. I pray that we would walk around with our mouths open, awestruck. That the mark of my testimony would be me walking around always in awe of who you are. God, do not let this mouth shut when it comes to speaking your blessings. And Lord, I pray right now that my soul and spirit would be aware that you are present. There is no darkness. There is no demon in hell. There is no trick, no plan, no scheme that is greater than you. Father, pour it out on this church. In Jesus' name, amen. What we're going to do is we're going to have communion, and then we're going to bring the kids in. So the ushers will be coming. They will be passing a bucket to you. This is such a privilege when we come together as a church. You know that we have... Whenever we do communion, I'm always clear to point out things that I love about it. It's amazing to think that in churches across the globe this morning, people are doing the same thing. It's amazing to think of the power that was poured out and what a privilege it is for us as a family to remember together. I remember how special it was as a child the first time they took communion. I held that cup, probably held it with both hands. That's what wonder felt like. going to read a scripture from 1 Corinthians and we're going to pray that we can share communion together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the night the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed he took bread 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And now it's that pause moment for us. We're to examine ourselves. Thank you, sir. Because the Bible says, therefore, who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink the cup. Goes on to warn about partaking in an unworthy manner. Now, before you pray, there have been times that people have come to our church. Maybe they were from a different denomination, different background. And people would ask, am I allowed to take communion? And it broke my heart. Because when Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me, he didn't say this do in remembrance of me if you belong to this denomination or that one. What he did say is that you need to make sure your heart is right. That applies to us this morning. So just bow your head. Take a moment. Father, examine this heart. I want it to look like you. If there are things in this heart, Father, that need to be under your blood right now, lay them before you because this is not something we do just out of habit this is to remember that you shed your blood to shake hell to shake the grave in Jesus name amen you may open this up be sure that you snap it drink that. Just take a moment to whisper a thank you. Now, church, we have the privilege if someone will bring life kids in. We're going to line those babies up here across the front. And then we're going to pray over them. Some of you, your kids will be up here. But here's what I would ask. How would you want people to pray over your kids for this school year?
Is that an octopus? I like that. Yeah. All right. If you're here and you are uh, older than these life kids, but you're still in school, need you to come up here too, if you would. Got a spot right over here. So parents, if you're standing beside your kids and you're like, I don't want to, get them up here. Get them up here. we are blessed crew here's what we're going to do we're going to be praying that you have the best school year ever we're going to be speaking God's blessing on you and here's what I'm going to pray I'm going to pray. Well, when I was young, there was a song about this little light of mine talking about how I'm just going to, I'm going to let the world see Jesus. I pray that you let your school see Jesus this year. Church, let's speak blessing over this crew right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, each one of these children are yours. They have only been entrusted to us. And Father, what I pray right now is that you would send your angels before them into the classrooms. I pray, Lord, that they would walk in your favor. I pray, God, that the teachers, they would have favor with them. That they, Lord, would be a light to you regardless of their age. I pray for the parents of these children that when they go into those school meetings, that the teacher would say, what did I just feel? What I speak, God, is revival to begin here. Lord, let our faith be like their faith. Your hand of protection, your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.